0: Hello, friends. Wow. First of all, if anyone was with me on Friday, May 13th at the Kennedy Center for our final show, I am still so incredibly full from the time that we all spent together what a day it was I am smiling from ear to ear I don't know if you can hear the smile but your girl is just full of love and community and sisterhood and care and wow 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 before we dive into today's episode I wanted to let you all know that this will be the last guest episode that we have on Hey Girl. I am so honored to be closing out my five years with this last guest. Her name is Octavia Rahim. She is an educator. She is a yoga teacher. She is a wonderful, amazing author of the book Pause, Rest, Be. And it is one of the books this year that really shifted how I look at resting and slowing down and getting back into my body. After this episode, there'll be maybe a week where you don't hear anything from me and Wayne, but we are going to be sharing our finale from the Kennedy Center in the next couple of weeks. And that will be the official last episode of the Hey Girl podcast. And I'll likely give you a bonus episode here or there because I just feel like, you know, keeping y'all up to date with what's going on in my life. And I want to hear from you guys every now and then. That could kind of be fun. But officially, this is the last guest episode with Octavia Rahim. And the finale from the Kennedy Center will air very soon. Until then, take good care. I love y'all so much. I am so grateful that you've been journeying with me for these past five years. Wow. So honored. Enjoy this episode with Octavia Rahim. Hi, I'm Alex L. and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. girl hey girl octavia (laughs) like Hey. hey girl i am so excited to be talking with you before you let us know who you are and what you do i just have to hand over some flowers because your new book has completely shifted how i look at slowing down And I just want to extend gratitude to you for writing such a brilliant and accessible collection of work.
1: Thank you. That's so generous. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Alex.
0: So please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what
1: you do. Mm, I think that's such a, when I knew you were going to ask me that, I thought, who am I? And literally, I've been sitting with this. A question I encountered at this online convention I went to this weekend was Who are you beyond name, title, and occupation? And the coach was saying, If you don't know the answer to that, how can you be in touch with your truest desire? And it just made me think about how a lot of times our desire is really anchored or tethered to some aspect of our identity? And is it the mother wanting that? Or is it the essence of Octavia wanting that? But that's just the rumination I am in right now. And so I will say I'm Octavia. And that's my great, great paternal grandmother's name. And in saying that that is who I am, I'm, you know, naming An aspect of the line of women I come from who are Southern, (laughs) who are deeply loving, who are fierce truth tellers, who are faithful Mm. and who step out of bounds (laughs) in really subtle ways, you know. So that's part of who I am. And then I'm a mother, which is an aspect of my being that has ushered in much contemplation, truth, and healing, not just for me, but through, I also believe, my my whole family, the women in my family, that line, a partner to an incredible earth-loving womanist Black man, and I write and I tell stories, and I've done that really since I could write, which was three or four, and I am a practitioner- teacher of really devotee of rest as a tool for awakening Mm. so that's some of who I am even though I'm like and what else is there but I could spend 20 minutes on that rumination so
0: (laughs) I love how you said rest and awakening in the same sentence so I want to talk about that especially as black women Mm -hmm. what it means for us to rest and then wake up to ourselves in our healing, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really curious to know how you teach folks and how you embody rest for this
1: deeper inner awakening of healing. Mm. That's a beautiful question. And You know, one thing I will say is that I've been practicing yoga since 1999 and all the poses in the world didn't interrupt some of my patterning that didn't really serve me. In fact, it seemed to further deepen my relationship or my connection to some of my dysfunctional patterns, like the way I engage my body or, you know, all of that. And so it was when I was introduced to meditation, really deeply introduced to it, not as like a word or two minute centering at the beginning of a class, yeah. but introduced to it in 2006. And I remember having this extended meditation experience and been like, what was that? Like, we didn't do anything. I hardly moved, but I traveled a great distance, you know, and that's a Mary Oliver line to give credit where it's due. And, and so it was literally in that initial moment where I said, I just encountered something, right? Like I was like, I just encountered something that I didn't have words for and couldn't fully define, but it felt really, really resonant and real. And now I'm like, Oh, I encountered me. I encountered my heart. I encountered Octavia without the conditionings and all of that. And so I spent, you know, like, I love to deconstruct an experience. Like, well, what was that? And literally I realized I was like, I wasn't doing anything. So there was no performance attached to it. My eyes were closed. I wasn't taking in visual stimuli or feeling like I was being looked at, which is a thing when you're in this black body, like I am being looked at as you also treating me like I'm invisible. Right. Right. All of those things. And so quite simply in teaching rest, it's really simple to me. And that is where the profoundness comes in. It I start with first, let's slow down because I actually think it's hard to come into a hard stop because most of us are spinning, right? The days spin around us and we spin with them. And the basic thing I teach is observe how you move. (laughs) How's that feel? Is it serving you? Where is it serving you? Where is it not? Are you feeling how you want to feel? And that's like in your actual body, and also in the way you relate to being an embodied person and in your relationships. And then it's like, okay, now let's slow down. So I'll teach, if I'm teaching something, I'll teach really slow movement. And then we stop. And the practice is be still, keep your eyes open or closed. Okay, now notice your breath. That's the whole practice. (laughs) There's more to it, right? I teach restorative yoga, I teach yoga nidra, I teach I teach all these things, and I am like the most basic aspect and profound aspect and grounding aspect to this is sit down or lay down, mm-hmm. notice your body, notice your breath, stay there, right? If that there is a minute, if that's all you got or all you can tolerate, because much like lifting weights right we have to build capacity for stillness and I even think most people have to build capacity for rest like I watch it all the time when people are like I'm so fatigued I'm so tired you simply ask me to lay down and now I'm scratching and I'm itching and all these other things are happening and I'm like it's okay then do that for a minute <laughs> right because when do we practice laying down and being still and then also a couple and many of us had childhood experiences where mm stillness or sitting alone or being a quiet was a punishment. And so I'm like, those are things. So the embodied practice for me, is like noticing the impact of how we're moving, how we're scheduling all of that. Can we find one way to interrupt that two ways? Can we slow some of that down? And then in physical practice, when I'm with people physically, which is also really just to say virtually, (laughs) I'm teaching, sit down, be still, lay down, now let's pay attention. And when I owned a yoga studio, I had this class called Chill Shop. It was Fridays at (laughs) 6.15. And at first, it would be like the same two women. Then they started bringing a friend. Then they started bringing a friend. And this class was get your pillows. I had bolsters at the studio. Get your blankets. Keep your socks on, right? All the things to keep you comfortable. Bring your bunny if you need to wrap your hair up. And we would literally for 75 minutes rest, lay down breathe and I used to have these elaborate like plans I'm going to say this I'm going to do that and it literally turned into let's lay down and notice our bodies let's lay down and breathe and when we do that alone is powerful and transformational when black women rest together the gifts of that rest, the nectar of that rest, Mm. the juice of it is amplified. The healing we do in community, whatever the benefits of it are, it amplifies when we get to do it together.
0: Mm. And when we get to do it without filling the space with noise.
1: Oh yeah. Without noise. Yeah, without interjecting a lot into it. And it takes some capacity building to get there, right? You know, because sometimes folks have this experience. They're like, I crave quiet. Then it gets quiet. What's that? I don't trust the silence. What's happening now, you know? And I'm like, yeah, we can notice all that. Not judge ourselves for what we notice and find a way to practice. Find a way to leave space and not continuously feel it.
0: that and that brings me to my next question about writing your book pause rest be and what those words meant to you as you were bringing this book into the world and how you were essentially acting as a mirror to yourself of the slowing down and the being present in this new way in book form
1: a scripture that I kind of walk with in my heart and in my pocket sometimes too is Psalms forty six ten, and that is Be Still and Know. In my mind, that was the title of the book (laughs) most of the time that I was writing it. And then when the whole manuscript was finished, it no longer felt like Be Still and Know because also I didn't want to answer for anyone and know what, right? You know, even though in the scriptures and know that I am God, right? And so what I realized was there's clearly there's rest in this book and there's this thread throughout of pausing. Like I noticed that sometimes I start the reflections with and pause and pause. And what I also realized must have been operating in my back brain is just that the order of operations essentially We have to have a relationship with the pause as a prerequisite to having a more intimate relationship with rest as a prerequisite with having this embodied experience of simply being, right? And one way I define simply being is really, or one way I practice it, I'll say it's one thing at a time. You know, sometimes people go, well, how do I be? I don't know how to be, which is a wild thing to say, but I really understand it. I know how to do all the things I do not know how to be. And I'm like, well, focus on one thing at a time. If you're drinking a cup of tea, can you take one sip and just be with the sip? Right. That's what being is, you know? And I'm like, and I don't actually think it's easy. It's a whole practice. I have a six-year-old and sometimes I'll be like, I'm just going to be with you. I'm going to simply focus on this one outrageous thing you're doing, but oh, now you're doing 20 other things, you know? And so the other thing about my writing process that I used to feel really self-conscious about because people go, How'd you write this book? And I wanted to have some kind of answer that I don't, I don't know, that felt more academic or seemingly acceptable <laughs> or intelligent. But my process, Alex, was I practice a lot of Yoga Nidra and meditation or <sighs> do these restorative poses, because in the book there are three of my favorite restorative poses outlined. I'd rest, then I'd write, I'd journal. <laughs> I'm like the whole book was written that way. And then the parts that had to be more like sit up and type, clearly, I had to sit up and type. But right. I felt like I was my real task was to listen. Mm. I couldn't force anything to present itself, you know, <laughs> like at least that's how I experience a creative process is there's something that wants to be born or said and I'm grateful to be the conduit when, when it comes through and that's not to say I don't do anything to engage the process. For me, engaging process looks like resting right? and feels like resting. It feels like taking a quiet walk. I love listening to all the podcasts, right? And this one ends when I'm in writing mode. I go walk in the woods quietly. I Essentially what I'm saying is part of my writing process is carving out space to really receive. And when I did that, that's how I heard, you know, could feel and hear that the title was, it had changed. The name of this book baby was, was Pause First, Rest Then Be. This is, it really is the pathway to it. And also I realized, well, that's what you're doing. <laughs> you know, like that's what you do. That's how you create.
0: This book is divine. It was on my nightstand for so long. I think I took it downstairs. And as I mentioned to you earlier, I was like, where's my book? (laughs) Because I kept it by my bed and then I would take it in the kitchen and I'd be reading it there and making my tea and sitting with it and receiving the knowledge and information and the moment of pausing. And as a mother of three, that can be really hard as a human being with stuff to do, you know, like that can be really hard, but I love this notion and this invitation essentially that you give us in being present so that we can wake up
1: to ourselves and hear ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know a, a question that kind of stopped me in my tracks. Who am I when I'm not doing, you know, cause I just, what am I when I'm not doing? You know, part of my relationship to rest. Rest has really helped to restore my sense of worth beyond what I can produce and do and perform for other people. And I didn't really realize how much of my self-worth was wrapped up in my performance and presentation and all the doing and and of course we you know you don't work you don't eat we have the most sayings around if you don't contribute in this way you're not productive and therefore you are not valuable and it's deeper than to any individualist systemic (laughs) right right. it's profound conditioning it is Mm -hmm is very old you know and so even as i acknowledge my own kind of distorted relationship between work and rest and productivity and self-worth i also turn and face fully the institutions that really perpetuate that yeah uphold that for black folks and black women in particular mm. and so rest has really been i often say rest is my most beloved teacher i have many teachers of rest and Sometimes it's necessary to go straight to the source. Like the practice itself is the guru, so to speak. Also, rest is a very loyal companion. I need to simply be consistent with her, right? I call rest of her, (laughs) you know, like rest is a goddess. And I also often say to people, I'm like, rest is the best lover. <laughs> rest says, come here, be comfortable, lay down, let me hold you. Mm. And through rest, I've had to really contend to what's my relationship to receiving just because. And so it's why I think for black women, like laying down someplace comfortable and just laying there, letting. Whatever is beneath you holds you, letting whatever is around you support you physically. That thing brought me into this awareness of, whoo, what's my relationship to support? Because in the yoga I teach, we use a lot of props. And I realized I said these props are just a metaphor for how we lean in or lean out of support, how we slap the hand of it or not, you know, and that's what I mean. That's some of what's awakened to me is I'm like, oh, it's very hard to accept support. And so first experiencing this in my body and letting myself receive being held in a rest pose has shifted how I can receive when I'm standing upright. And that's part of what we started this conversation talking about rest as a tool to awakening. Cause I'm not the doer, I can be soft. <laughs> I'm not only the doer, I can be soft. I can be held and somehow in the living of life and all that, I forgot that.
0: How do you come back home to yourself in your place of rest? Like what intentional steps do you take to be with yourself and to hold yourself? Through your practice?
1: Mm, that's a beautiful question. So, the practice in this one way is never ending. And what I thought immediately when you said that is one thing I do, Alex, is I have a special place I rest and I leave it set up the way I want it to be. You know, because I think a lot about what are the impediments to doing the thing you want to do for yourself that you know is good, but somehow find yourself doing email instead of that. Right. Yep, yep. And for me, I realized I have a really comfortable place to rest to just leave it set up. And I also understand everyone's living situation doesn't allow that. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like where I'm going to rest is really specific and it remains that way. I protect that physical space, which then really translates into me because I literally have to look at that space every day. It translates into me protecting on my calendar Mm -hmm. the 10 minutes that I'm going to do it. Because the other thing is that when I'm in creative mode, I actually rest way more, right? And then when I come out and I'm in this more active phase of whatever processes, my rest practice looks like 10 minutes in the morning and 10 minutes on the back end of my day. But I protect that time. And it used to be, this is on my calendar, period, like everything else. And I would put buffers around that 10 minutes of five on each side, just in case something went awry, So I feel like that very kind of practicality of I carve out the space, I protect the literal space and I protect the time space to practice. And then my morning meditation, though, I actually do in a really specific corner on my couch. And part of that is because my son gets up, you know, we do morning stuff and he eats breakfast and I sit and purposely meditate within his view, you know, with him smacking or doing whatever thing his little six-year-old body wants to do. And part of that is once I became a mother, some of my like, the practice has to be exactly like this. It doesn't count. Had to let go because this kid be crawling on me. All kinds of stuff will be happening, you know? And that's when I was like, okay, I need to carve out some physical space where that's not happening. And I also realized that I wanted him to see me practice And I didn't want him to think that my practice was more precious than him, you know, or that the practice itself was that precious that I couldn't, like, I wanted to expose him to it. And so this is why I have two practices, because I want one practice that I'm like, this, I share in this one way. And sometimes he comes to sit with me. Sometimes he just goes on with his morning life. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he tries to ask me for something. And then my more, my deeper rest practice I sometimes listen to an audio recording, like I record it myself, which I think is actually beautiful to hear your own voice say, now relax your feet, now relax your ankles, now relax your, you know, and some of them I have affirmations I say to myself, like, I love you so much, right? And so sometimes I literally, I recorded like a 10 minute body scan for myself. And at the end I'm like, hey girl, I love you, right? You know, and I do that most of the time. My teacher, Tracy Stanley, I do a lot of her recordings. And then sometimes I literally just lay there and feel my body against the ground. And I used to set a timer, you know, because I'd be like, well, I don't, you know, something happens. I want to be here two hours and not know it. But now I can feel into the time and I just do that. That's it. Like, And I always, always journal when I finish, even if that's just like draw a picture, write a word that came to mind.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that all so much. And the voice note journaling, which is something is so sacred and beautiful. And it gives us this invitation to listen to ourselves, yes. to actually listen, to take inventory, to pay attention, to slow down and to rest in our own comfort. Ooh, it is, yeah, it is divine. Absolutely.
1: It's profound to listen to and, you know, it was part of this yoga ninja training I did. My teacher, Tracy Stanley, said <laughs> to finish this course, you have to record this thing in your own voice and do it for this number of days. And it took me triple the number of days to actually do it. This was years ago because there was this thing that happened when I listened to my voice. I'd be like, I have to stop. I have to press pause. Pause. And so now for a few years from that, like I've been doing this where I I listen to me guiding me, it has changed my relationship to my voice and to speaking my truth in a way that I could not have anticipated. And so I really would encourage people to, because sometimes we feel like, well, I need a teacher to tell me exactly how to do it. And I'm like, that's a white male patriarchal, like that's not, that's not always true. Like I really love learning and I learned, I love having guidance and a teacher, but I think we all could make a three to five minute voice memo where we're just speaking sweetness and softness over our body and then just play that back to ourselves on a daily or weekly basis. Like it has transformed my life to hear my own voice speak tenderly to me.
0: Mm, that is stunning. So as we bring our conversation to a close, I want to ask you one last question. If you were mentoring your younger self, what would you teach her?
1: That's a beautiful question. Uh, the word that came to my mind is to really trust herself and how and to forge a more intimate and personable relationship with her body I feel like I spent a lot of time kind of disembodied like you know I carried this body but I didn't have a relationship with it that was one that wasn't like I'm trying to control it I'm trying to manipulate it I'm trying to change it but just like here's the body I have how can I how to be in a relationship with this body and the reason why I put trust and body together is this version of me there's so much wisdom in this body. And it's not just my wisdom. It's the wisdom of my mother. It's the wisdom of her mother. There's so much ancestral wisdom in my body. And the amount of time I spent kind of disoriented from my body or disembodied or not in a sacred relationship with the sensations in my body. You know, we get so much messaging through our bodies and that would have directly put me in a more trusting relationship with myself and with my capacity to trust my inner wisdom. You know, so I would put those two together. So that's some of what I would tell if I were writing to my younger self, trust yourself and really deeply love your body and not in the like very surface what you do to the outside way. I'm thinking about that scene in Beloved or that part in um, Beloved where she says, love your body love this body, you know, because this is the prize. Do you know that? Do you know mm-hmm. that scene? I do. Uh, and I, do. I probably didn't say it exactly. And I'm like, but like, how When you read that? Are you hear it? You're like, you feel like you're like struck from the inside with a rod of radiance. <laughs> I'm like, yes, love, love your heart and your body because this is the prize. You are the prize. Thanks
0: for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L.